Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Matthew, the 25th chapter, and beginning with the first verse. And I'll read from the new translation. Jesus speaking and saying, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Once there were ten girls who took their oil lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and the other five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any extra oil with them. While the wise one took containers full of oil for their lamps. The bridegroom was late in coming, so the girls began to nod and fall asleep. It was already midnight when the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come and meet him. The ten girls woke and trimmed their lamps. Then the foolish one said to the wise one, Let us have some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. No, indeed, the wise one answered, There is not enough for you and for us. Go to the store and buy some for yourselves. So the foolish girls went off to buy some oil. And while they were gone, the bridegroom arrived. The five girls who were wise went with him to the wedding feast, and the door was closed. Later the other girls arrived, Sir, sir, let us in, they cried out. Certainly not, I do not know you, the bridegroom answered. And Jesus concluded, Watch out then, because you do not know the day or the hour. May Lord help us to understand what he told these folk of long ago today. A year or so ago I used to do business at Brand X filling station. It's not the one that our lovely family of the church runs. And there was a character that ran that filling station that you couldn't help but love him. He's just a wonderful fellow. And I like to go around him and, and even to visit uh, with him a little bit. And, but he was always real busy. And every time that he would see me, this is before the energy crunch came about, and he would always, every time he'd see me, say, Preacher, you would get better mileage with a tuna. And then from time to time, I'd have him to tune the car up just to get him to shut up. And it would last for about three weeks. And then he would start over again. The preacher, you'll get better mileage if you just let me give you a tune-up. Well, <clears throat> a lot of people are like that too, you know. Some time ago, well, it was from a senator. was a senator. He got thrown out of office. I mean, he got voted out of office here the last time around uh, in our state government. And he had a car that... Uh, some time ago that I was interested in, years ago, in fact, and his company owned the car, and he was going to get rid of it. I said, Preacher, I'll give you a good deal on this car, and he's a car, so I said, uh, that's a deal, well, I'll look at it, and so he called me one day and said, uh, ready to do business, so I went over and I said, uh, asked my friend, I said, uh, when was the oil change in this car last? He looked at me, he said, it's never been changed, it had about 50,000 miles on it. I said, have you never changed oil? No. I said, if you had any work done on this car, what about the brakes? He said, I haven't done anything to this car. So all I do is put gas and oil in it and run it. Now, that's the way he was running his car. You know, a lot of people do their cars that way. 
I'm not going to mention any names, but uh, that's the way it happens. You know, they just run their car until it comes to the place one day. It starts sputtering and jerking and jumping. And you don't know whether it's going to get out of the drive or down the road to two blocks before it quits completely. And there's another way to look at the situation and to take care of it properly. But we as the multitudes of people go about this business of trying to live the same way. We really don't get serious about this business of living. We ignore the situation that exists until at last it comes to the place where there's a complete break in the situation. I remember my dear friend that's well now, but uh, when I got a call from him, he was over here to Our Lady of Peace. I had one time I had the privilege of being his minister years ago. And so I was asked to come over to, to talk to him. And I went over and I told my friend uh, that was recovering beautifully, I said, how in the world did this happen to you? He says, well, it's a long story. If you've got about seven or eight hours, I'll tell you about it. But we sat down there, and he told me the heart of it within about, about an hour and, and 30 minutes. And he says, you know, preacher, the thing that really really helped me to see that this man was getting well is, is, is his estimate of what happened to him. His conclusion was the way that he looked at the situation now and his evaluation of his life. He says, you know, he says, the truth of it is, he says, I didn't pay any attention to the danger signals that my body gave to me. He says, I ignored every one of them. As I look back on it now, I can see that there were all kinds of signals going out uh, from, the, from the inside of me to the outside. And he says, I just uh, didn't pay any attention to it at all. And he says, now here I am at this place and hopefully I'm getting my head screwed on properly again. And we'll be able to go out there and, and do a better job than, than I did before. But here's a man, like so many of us. We grind to a halt if we're not careful. And we don't pay attention to, to the things that, that really the things that really come from the, the inside of us. And in his summary of what happened to him, I found out that he had dropped out of church. How did it happen? How did you let such a thing happen to you? I have known this man and know him well enough to be able to talk straight to him without mincing any word. How in the world did you let this thing happen to you? He says, well, he said, uh, you want the truth or you want me to tell you what I told myself and what I told everybody else? He says, I've forgotten all the list of things. He says, I probably used every one that you've ever heard. He says, I'm sure I said I didn't like the preacher, didn't like the church. I didn't like to fish a board. I didn't like what they were doing. I didn't like what they were not doing. He says, I used every excuse you can think of. He says, the God's honest truth about it, preacher, he says, to be strictly honest with you and God and myself. He says, there wasn't a look of truth in any of it. He says, I think the truth of it was, must be, the truth must be found in two things. It must have been be found here. He says, I got tired of going to church. And he says, secondly, he says, I thought I could get by without going to church. I thought I could get by. I don't need a church. I don't need God's people. I can do it on my own. Well, long before he had to go to the hospital, he said, I was in trouble. What kind of life are you living? Are you living one with meaning, with quality to it? Are you living or just living? 
long before life becomes a miserable, unlivable situation. There are all kinds of signs that come out from the deep soul that abides in these bodies of ours. And what are some of the signs that we can look for? Now, I don't have them all. I'm just going to mention three or four to stimulate your thinking for you to think about it. And here are somewhere along the line, gleaned from the hard facts of life, are three or four things that I have found that you need to pay attention to. Now, last Sunday, someone reminded me that uh, they didn't like too much what I was saying. And they wondered if I had any more involvement in it than just saying it. Uh, dear ones, let me say to you, from the, if there's any honesty in my soul at all, now this is the truth whether it sounds like it or not, that if I don't say something to my own soul, I don't have anything to say to you. I never come before you if it hadn't said something to my soul. I keep working with it until it does say something to my soul. I'm not talking to a soul here this morning. You see, I am actually different from this body that you see. All of us are. There's a soul that lives in here somewhere. And one of these days it's going to be released. And so I talk to my soul. I'm not talking to any other man's soul or other woman's soul or any young person's soul this morning more than this man is talking to his own soul. The same thing that applies for you applies for me. And I have discovered that when I speak to my own soul more perfectly, there's a tendency that the Lord can take it and speak to another person's soul. That's the way that it is. And that's the way God intended for it to be. That's what we talk about when we say we make our witness. Well, what are some of the dangerous signals? Well, here's one. When you begin to deceive and lie to yourself, oh, what one of us has not done that, you You can go out here and it comes out, you know you want to buy a new car. And you made up your mind you're going to buy a new car and you look at that old wreck and it's a wreck. And everything in the world is wrong with it and you've dreamed up some things that's wrong with it. It's not wrong with it. You, know, you sell yourself on the idea that you've got to have a car. That's the way we are. I wonder why God put us together that way. But when you come to the place where you begin to deceive and to, to lie to, you, to yourself, that's what this man in the hospital was trying to tell me. It's not the church. It wasn't the people. It's not our society. It's not anyone else. It's me. I am responsible for what happens here. I am responsible for what happens to my soul. You're not. Now you can help me. Or you may make it a little more difficult for you. But in the final decision before God, I say, as you do, what is going to penetrate your soul? Can't let anybody else adore. <laughs> the Lord's not going to accept that. You can always deceive yourself. My friend, yeah, he says, well, I've got to have a little alcohol for medicinal purposes. Well, he's sick all the time. Man. I'm not going to take a job in the church. I'm too busy. Oh, really? Hmm. I'm not going to give to the church and to the Lord because... I don't have enough money. Oh, really? Hmm. Who are you trying to fool? For a 
thousand different ways we, we talk to ourselves, you know. And we let self become careless and unkept. And the truth of it is, we come to a place where we're really not on honest speaking terms with self. But dear ones, you correct that. You're far too great to deceive yourself. Oh, you're far too great a creation for you to tolerate yourself deceiving yourself. When you begin to deceive and lie to yourself, no one else, I'm not talking about anybody else, I'm talking about you. How do you talk to yourself? Secondly, when you refuse to think for yourself, this whole Watergate business brought up again in Times Magazine this time, if you've looked at it, you know G. Gordon Lilly has a great section in there on the book now that he's writing to explain the situation. And so it comes up again to speak to, uh, to a situation. People who refuse to think for themselves and, and nearly did our great country in. Well, why do we do that? Maybe it's a desire to be accepted. We, we don't want to think for ourselves because we might hurt someone else's feelings. Well, dear friends, it ought to be done in a, in a nice way. I, I envy the people. Well, no later than this morning, I was reminded that I'm not too nice. And I figured if he knew I wasn't too nice, it's time he'd tell you I'm kind, considerate, and loving, and understanding. Now you can turn to your neighbor and say, well, that's the only way I'd know it. <laughs> but I take no joy in hurting people. None of us do, or we ought not. There's no joy in, in being nasty. There's no joy in being cruel unless you have missed the mark with Christ. There's no joy in that. There's no really satisfaction in and, and being that I envy people who have the right word for the right time and can say it nicely. I think the guy was a genius who thought up how to sugarcoat. Well, think about it. The only thing that I had when I was a kid, when I needed some help, you know, on TV like they have, that you gave me castor oil. Well, think about this as chocolate tasting. Well, I'd have probably, if I got a hold of it, I'd eaten the whole pack, you know. The guy must have been a genius that sugar-coated the pill. Now, some people, you know, I see them and they, I wish I could have said that. They, they say it in such a beautiful way. They say the same thing. But it doesn't come out nasty. It doesn't come out mean and cruel. It's positive. It's firm. And you accept it and understand it. When we refuse to think for ourselves, we become lazy. That's what happened to these people here that Jesus was talking about. Indifferent. They let the oil run out. And folk, when the oil runs out, there isn't anything else left. If you let that oil represent life, when it's gone, it's gone. That's what Jesus was talking about. If we dilly-dally around here and we refuse to do what we ought to do today and accept the responsibility for ourselves like we ought to accept it, I don't care what reason excuse you give for not doing it, it's not good enough, you let the oil run out, and the door is closed and slammed, not for a few days, but for eternity. And it's hard to start again. I was amazed at this friend of mine in the hospital. He was ready and willing to start again. I have a very dear friend, in fact, they came to me. <clears throat> and I love him greatly. Ran into a little trouble. Went out, sat down and talked to her. And I talked to her, I could see that she had slipped off course. Everything that she would talk about, she says, well, I guess that's right. I hope that's right. It seems to be that way, or someone has said that that's so. I said, wait a minute. 
I said, now tell me what you really think. Not what someone else has said, what's, what you think you heard. What do you really think about the situation that you're, that you're in, that you need to make a decision over? What do you really think? Difficult. Finally got it out. Act upon it. Now you've accepted the responsibility for the situation. You've accepted the responsibility for action to it. Now if it's the wrong action, you will know it in plenty of time and you can change your course and alter it as you go. But you can move on to finding the final solution to the problem. When you become an objector, <clears throat> when you find that the only thing you don't object to is the way that you live, brother, you're in trouble. Now that's an interesting phenomena among us. There's not a one of us, but what uh, if you have got about four or five hours, I'll tell you what I object to. If you're not careful, all of us will do that. If you're not careful, that's what you'll do, make a living out of it, you know. And you want to listen to you, you'll tell them what you object to. I've had some painful experiences with that. They've been so embarrassing, and I've been so, so ashamed of myself both with the church and with individuals. You see, I have no right to criticize my church. I have no right to criticize my church for some decision that they make and something they're doing if I don't have a better plan. If I don't have a better plan, I have been caught time and time again to my embarrassment and shame and thinking in terms of people. And I remember one whose son had drifted off course and, and I was sort of critical to the father about the situation. And the father was smart enough to look me straight in the eye and say, Well, preacher, do you have a better plan? I said, No, I have no better plan. Well, then he may have done as best he could do. Yes, he did then better than I know to do because I don't have a better plan. I don't have a better plan. There's nothing wrong with objecting, dear friends. And we ought to from time to time. But the secret of successful men and women and church is to have a plan for what they do and when someone comes along with a better plan, be willing to accept it and work upon it. But not be critical about the situation because that's the best that a person can do. Dear friend, I don't like to walk on a cane any more than you like to see me walk on one. But I don't have any better plan. It's the best I can do. Church is the same way. People are the same way. And we can so easily tune something out right here. You know, we can, we've got the ability and capability. This mind just, just staggers me. We can think in such a way that we can turn this world out. Just, just tune it right out. It's hard for me to accept. And yet I've got the evidence of it to carry the marks on my own body that this little gal that pulled out in front of me from here to the back door there and it's just as open as this aisle is here. And she pulled right out in front of me, and here I was on a big thing, and my wife with me, and you know, big as 60, and I'm not small, and there we were, and it's a beautiful day like today. And she says, the God's honest truth about the situation, I didn't see. How could that be? But she didn't, I believe her. Of course I believe her. She didn't see me, or she wouldn't have done it. Tune me out. You have the ability and capability to tune life out like that. And these gals who were waiting for the bridegroom, in a sense, they just tuned them out. They were not too serious about the situation. 
So they just tuned him out. And so they got left out. When you become an objector, you begin to tune the world out, friends, whether you know it or not. Unless you've got a better plan, there's a difference. Also, when you become a whiner, when you become a whiner, oh, how I like to whine. <laughs> oh, I can tell you some of the most pitiful stories. I can limp a little worse if I see a hard situation. You know. Well, I can. You should see me when that policeman got after me. I limped a little more. We all can. You know what I'm talking about because you sense it within your own heart and soul. You sense it. You know it. And we drift when we come to this place where we do this. I, I remember being called to a, to a lady. It was early in the morning. Well, it wasn't too early. About 9 or 9.30. But that's usually a little early for people to call for help. And so I thought something was drastically wrong. Rushed over to the house. And this lady was so upset. I knew that somebody had died. You know, it was just a tragic situation. Come to find out the night before, that, or day before, somewhere in there, that her husband was about ready to retire, and so they just, the company just went ahead and retired him, about three or four years from retirement, retired him in the full way, and just let him retire. Well, she presented such a negative picture to me that if I hadn't known the truth, that I knew that he owned a big farm out here close to Bargetown. In fact, I'd been on the farm, it was a beautiful farm. And then on top of that, he earned, owned several pieces of real estate uh, here in the city that produces quite well. And you know, somehow or another, I couldn't muster up much pity for her. <laughs> now, you know, I, I, I just couldn't. And I was thinking about that situation, and I was told this past week, I think Thursday was, a little gal that I haven't seen, she's a lady that I haven't seen for, for several years. In fact, she was never a member of my church, but I held a study group one time for about 12, 14 weeks, and she came to it faithfully, and I got to know her real well. And I remember being told to come quickly, and I went down about two blocks from the church and got there, and she was standing in the middle of the road, and I knew something was really bad wrong. And her beautiful 19-year-old daughter had taken her life on the front door steps. She was beside herself. Of course she was. And then no sooner we got over that, her husband came in and he was distressed and was rearranged mentally and didn't, was not in charge of his mental faculties. He came in one night, one evening when the family was not there. She had two sons, his daughter, and two sons. And he tore the house apart. Now, he didn't rearrange the furniture. I mean, he literally tore it apart. He broke up everything in that house. And then before he left, he turned off every spigot in that house. And it ran all night long. And the next morning, when I got there to see the mess, there was a river running down, almost down, out, down, and down the street. Everything inside the home was literally destroyed as if it had been destroyed by fire. He left and that was it. Her two sons at that time were critical age between the ages of 12 and 16 and, and both of them had taken off in the wrong direction. And how can anyone stand this and still stay in their tree? And then a short time after that, this all happened within about a space of about six months. I got a call, come to the hospital. Went to the hospital, went to the emergency room, 
And there was this little gal, she couldn't talk. She'd been in an accident and nearly killed herself. And she said, Preacher, among two parched lips, swollen out of proportion, could hardly recognize her. She says, I need just a little help. Just a little. And I'll get back on my feet again. Well, she got the help just a little. Didn't have much to give her. But we gave her what we had in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she responded, she has a beautiful position here within our city. And I was told by this person yesterday, Job is still alive. One of her sons is in Texas in a seminary studying to be a minister. The other son has already finished his medical schooling and is now as an internship to be a doctor. The story is not written yet. We are still alive. Mother, you wonder about your son and your daughter. We're still alive. God is still in his place. You present to them a responsible person. A responsible person. She's saved today because she had herself orientated with the Lord Jesus Christ and she stood in the midst of all of this agony and pain. And to look at her, you think she wouldn't be able to stand a, a good rainstorm. But she stood with God's help and still standing. A whiner. In the last place, when we spend all of our time reacting. There's two ways to live. You can either live like the Lord Jesus Christ did, or you can live like a lot of us try to live, to react to life. I had a brother for a long time. They worked for LG&E here, and they had him at one time, years ago, that he was in that game, what they call a troubleshooter. <clears throat> and any time at night there was a storm, or any other catastrophe or disaster within uh, the nature, or somebody run into a utility pole and rip it down, whatever they are at night, he was called out. And he and his gang had to go out and, and try to restore that service. Troubleshooter. He never, he never worked really... Uh, to do anything creative outside of reacting to a situation. He spent all this time, there's, there's known as a troubleshooting game. Now, you know, we can, that's a way you can live that way. There's one way to live. And, and many of us try to live, live that way. There's nothing creative about it. And you can live all your days putting out the fires here, there, and yonder, responding to the hurts that wherever it is. Or you can do what Jesus did. Dear friends, you don't have to read the Gospels too far before you come to the place to realize that Jesus Christ was not a reactor. He acted. He did. God called him to do something. He accepted the responsibility. And then he let the world react against him. I want to tell you, you're too great to live any other way. You're too great to live any other way. You are created and call to live in such a way within this world that you let this world react against you. Your destiny is secure. Your faith is firm. You're strong in your belief. You're firm in your faith. You know what you believe. And now you take hold of life. And you move in that direction. And Paul said, even if an angel should come and tell me that I'm going in the wrong direction, I'd have to tell him, you better go back and check again. You misunderstood. I know. But I know that I know. And dear friends, I want to tell you what is possible for my soul is possible for yours. Because that's what God has done. 
And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing today. And if I understand what he's trying to tell us in the, in the gospel that I read to you this morning, he's simply trying to tell you to stay awake, accept the responsibility. He's in charge. He may delay, but one of these days he's going to come back loud and clear, either personally or you're going to sense it within your heart and your soul. Whichever way it is, Lord, doesn't make any difference. We're ready. Accept the responsibility for yourself and your relationship with Christ and your relationship with the church. And you will be a more beautiful person. And those who are around you will be more beautiful because your reflection will help them to see the way that they ought to be. Oh, our Father, today it is so beautiful and we have such an opportunity and we have life. May we be as creative as you have called us to be for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of his words, finishing the work he started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.